Uh, well, welcome to Grumlaw. We really are so happy that you are here with us today, particularly those of you this is your first time with us. Honestly, thanks for walking through our doors. Thanks for making Grumlaw a part of your week. I have been really, really enjoying this series that we are in right now called Guardrails because I love it when we do a series that it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're young, you're old, whether this is your first time walking into a church, or they've been coming to church your entire life. Uh, regardless of even if you're a Christian or not, what your background looks like, you get the idea. It doesn't matter who you are. This series is so incredibly applicable to every single one of our lives. Now, in this series, as you've already probably figured out, we're talking a little bit about guardrails. And I'm confident that all of you do know what a guardrail is. But just to make sure that we are all on the same page, it's important that we all kind of have the same working definition. This is kind of how we've defined a guardrail. It's a system. It's not just a thing. It's a system designed to keep vehicles from straying. And that's a word that we've kind of been honing in on during the series, from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. And as we've already talked about in the series, guardrails are literally everywhere. They are so incredibly commonplace. In fact, they're so commonplace uh, that none of you probably really even notice them. I, I guarantee that none of you have ever pulled over on the side of the road and just thought, man, look at this guardrail. This thing is just incredible and admired the placement and the ingenuity and the engineering that went into that guardrail. No, because they're so commonplace, they just kind of blend in. They're, they're like trees and grass and lines painted on the side of the road. We don't really even notice them. But, and we all know this, guardrails do obviously serve a purpose, right? They keep us out of the danger zone. They keep us away from what will ultimately harm us. And as we talked about in that very first week, when you bump up against a guardrail, if you happen to run into a guardrail, it will absolutely cause some damage. It'll cause some damage to your vehicle, might even cause some damage to you personally, but far less damage than if you were to run into whatever lies beyond the guardrail. The oncoming traffic, the cliff, the bridge, the trees, that when it comes to driving, it's important that we have some margin for error, that a guardrail is never placed inside of the danger zone, but it's always placed, again, well outside of the danger zone. Now, obviously, we're not doing this series on guardrails so that we can brag about the various products that fall under the scope of the Road Commission. It's a little bit better than that. No, the reason that we're talking about guardrails is because we think that we all should have some boundaries, some guardrails that relate to us personally some personal guardrails in each and every single one of our lives, again, regardless of where you find yourself in this whole faith journey. So we've kind of come up with this new definition for a guardrail as it relates to us personally. It's a standard of behavior, a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience, a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. And so we've asked this question, what would it look like if we placed personal meaning they won't necessarily apply to everyone and anyone else. What would it look like if we placed personal guardrails in other areas of our lives? What if you develop personal standards of behavior that you are so committed to as an individual, that are so tied into your conscience that when you bump up against them, it feels like you have done something wrong? It bothers, it irritates your conscience that when you bump up against those things, red flags start waving and lights start blinking, reminding you, hey, if you ignore this, if you ignore this guardrail, if you ignore this boundary, you might very well end up in a place that you don't want to be. You might very end up well, end up in an area that is going to be difficult to recover from. And so last week, uh, we talked about the idea of guardrails and friendships. And Jeremiah, we had a guest speaker last week, he did an incredible job breaking down this, this idea and that we actually all know this to be true, that friends have an enormous impact on the qual quality and on the direction of our lives. 
And so it would probably be a good idea if we had some guardrails as it relates to our friendships. And so if you were not here last week or you weren't here in the first week of this series, I cannot encourage you enough. Shameless plug here. Go to grumlaw.com slash messages and get yourself caught up there. You can either listen or watch the messages. Again, I've said this before. This is an old joke, but watch them, right? Then you get a little bit more of me in your life. I mean, that's just... That's good, right? Okay. Or you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcast. It's so, so, so important that we all have these guardrails in our lives that, again, that aren't inside of the danger zone, but, again, are placed well outside of the danger zone. In fact, any situation, any situation where you have a tendency, this is kind of a profound thought, to hand control over to someone or something else, you need a guardrail. And the reason that that is the case is really the big why behind this entire series. It's the big because, it's the big reason that this is important to every single one of our lives. Again, if you, even if you are not a Jesus follower, your greatest regrets, your greatest regrets could have been avoided if you would have had guardrails in place. Your greatest financial regrets, your greatest moral regrets, your greatest regrets as it relates to your sexuality, your greatest regrets in parenting, your greatest regrets in your marriage, in your relationships, in your friendships. Believe it or not, they could have been avoided if you would have had some guardrails in place. And fortunately for us, and I think this is a really great thing, we do not have to go at this alone. This book that we often refer to as the Bible, or we sometimes call it scripture, and it's another reason I think every single one of you, again, Christian or not, should pick this thing up and start reading it because there's so much practical advice in there as it relates to this subject of guardrails. And that's a really, really good thing for us, particularly today, as we talk about what what is certainly the most needed, but yet probably the most resisted area of all. Your desire and my desire our desire for physical and sexual intimacy. Now, the reason that that I say that this is the most needed area of all is because virtually every other disaster, every other sin, every every other crisis in our lives, you can fully recover from that. You can fully recover from financial disasters. I mean, some of you, you graduated college, you got your first job, you're making $35,000 a year, woo! Might as well be $3.5 million a year. I mean, you are ready to spend that money. You're like, I need a new car. I deserve a new car. And you go out and you get yourself into like a $600 lease. You go out and buy your first house. And you're like, I don't know how they pre-approved me for this, but I'm a buying it, right? You go out, you get yourself into a pretty crazy mortgage. You start racking up credit card debt. And then like one day, or maybe it's a conversation with a loved one or a parent. You are like, oh no, I am spending more money than is coming in. And you have this moment of self-awareness where slowly but surely, it's not an overnight process. It might even take years, but three, four, five, six years down the road, you start chipping away at that, at your school debt. You pay off those credit cards. You get out of that lease payment and you back to driving your 1995 Honda Civic. You sell that house, you downsize. And in fact, you might even say that that was a good lesson for you to learn early on in life. You can recover from financial disasters. You can recover from drinking disasters. I know a good number of people And they've got not one, but multiple DUIs. And they are just destroying their lives. They are destroying the relationships around them. But again, through this moment of self-awareness, maybe it's a loved one that sits them down and loves them well enough to just like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna strangle you if you do not figure this out. 
And they're like, my goodness, what am I doing with my life? And again, slowly but surely, it takes time. They start to turn their lives around. They commit themselves to sobriety. They start going to AA meetings. They get themselves a sponsor. They go to therapy. They go to counseling. And again, over time, it might take 10 years, but it's something that they can look back at and even in some cases laugh about. Those relationships begin to be healed. You can fully recover from that. You can fully recover from virtually every other type of disaster. But when it comes to our sexuality, you never hear people sharing those stories and laughing about it. It's because sex is not just physical. It goes so much deeper than that. And when you cross certain lines as it relates to your sexuality, there are things that are almost impossible to recover from. There are things that you will carry with you for the rest of your life. Even though our society, our culture tries to beat it into our brains that sex is just physical, come on, it's not that big of a deal. Come on, we all know intuitively that that is not the case. Now, a couple thousand years ago, there's this guy named Paul, and in fact, he wrote like the majority of of the New Testament, which is kind of the second half of the Bible, and a lot of his writings came in the form of these letters to early Christians living in these different areas, and one of these letters that he coined uh, was to this early church, the early Christians that were living in this area called Corinth, and he addresses this subject kind of head on, and it's incredible to me, whenever, you know, I come across pieces of scripture like this, it's so <laughs> incredibly applicable to our lives today. And again, it's thousands of years later. You, you think that we as human beings would have gotten better at this stuff by now, but not so much. And he says this. He says, all other sins, all other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, when Paul uses the word body here, it's important to note that he's not just talking about our physical bodies, like our flesh and our bones. He's talking about our entire being. Everything that makes you, you, your personality, your emotions, everything about you. All other sins, and we know this to be true, affect our body, but no other sin has such a disastrous effect on our memories, on our personalities, on our soul as does sexual sin. And I am convinced that if there is any area of our lives for every single one of us, that it should be a non-negotiable, that we should have guardrails in place, then this is it. I don't think that's all that controversial of a statement. In fact, I would almost guarantee that if I got in a room one-on-one with every single one of you, you would probably agree with me on that. Because you know the damage and the guilt and the memories are very difficult, if not impossible, to get rid of. It's the most important area of our lives that we set up guardrails. And the key to this, Paul writes it down for us, and it's four words, and it's so incredibly simple. I mean, you ready for this? This is pretty exciting. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. And if we all took this to heart, if we all took these four words and we implemented them in our lives, if we created this guardrail in our our lives, I mean, I could just walk off the stage right now. We could be done. I mean, this would be the shortest sermon that I've ever given in my life. Flee, not be careful, not watch out, not flirt, not, what's going on over here? No, 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 flee. In so many other areas in scripture when we read about sin, the, the, the direction is to stand firm, fight against it. Not here. It's head for the hills. Get as far away from this as you possibly can. And this is not just a churchy thing. 
Whether you call yourself a Jesus follower or not, this is for everyone. Think about it. Wives who are in the rooms today. Uh, as you're sitting here and you think about this as it relates to your husband, whether you are a Christian or not, when your husband is tempted sexually, whether it be with something like pornography or maybe it's a coworker that you know, is starting to kind of grab his attention a little bit, you saw it kind of go down at the Christmas party and you're like, huh, seems to really like to hang out with her. When he is tempted sexually, what do you want him to do in those situations? You want him to get over nice close to the edge? Hey, what's going on over here? What are you guys looking at? Hey, Stacy, what's going on? No, you want him to flee. You want him to get as far away from that as he possibly can. Wives, you want your husbands to flee. Husbands, you want your wives to flee. Girlfriends, you want your boyfriends to flee. Boyfriends, you want your girlfriends to flee. Parents, you want your children to flee. You want everyone that you care about to flee. But for some reason, when it comes to you, we're not so sure. Because we prefer to flirt, not flee. And in no other area of our lives are we more baited by our society, by our culture, to get as close to the edge as we possibly can than right here. And it's why it is so important that we set up guardrails that aren't just right next to the danger zone, but are a like 100 and 200 yards away from the danger zone because we all know how quick you can go from innocent bystander to sucked right in the middle of it just like that. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, we're even more incentivized to do this in this very next verse. He says, do you not know, he says, come on, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from, Christ, from God? And he's saying, do you not know? Because he was insinuating that there were probably some Jesus followers who were in that original audience that maybe didn't know, which probably stands to reason that there's some Jesus followers sitting here today who maybe do not know this. But when you put your faith in Jesus, when you accept that, that, that free gift of salvation from God, though the Holy Spirit comes into your life and dwells inside of you, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's a pretty cool thought, right? I mean, this is like my temple been working on the tone of my temple and the tan on my temple. Ladies, calm down, flee, okay? We're talking about fleeing. But seriously, think about that. This is not just some metaphor. If you are a Jesus follower, then the Holy Spirit lives in you. Your body is sacred. Your body is special. Your body is set apart. And again, when Paul writes that word body here, he's not just talking about our flesh. He's not just talking about our physical bodies. He's talking about our entire being, our personality. Again, everything that makes you, you. And then he goes on to say this. He says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Now, this is going to sound a little bit wonky if you're kind of new to this whole church thing, but believe it or not, you don't belong to you. You were bought at a price. When Jesus came down onto this earth and he died for every single one of us, he died for you specifically, he paid the penalty for your sins, for your mistakes, he essentially purchased you. You have been purchased from sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. You no longer have to give in to what your fleshly and your earthly desires tell you to do because you are now the master of your body because your body is now under the authority of God. And so he says, therefore, so with all that in mind, therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your bodies. And remember, the context for this entire conversation is sexual. And this is the take home. This is the litmus test. 
whenever you find yourself in a situation, you're wondering, should I do this or, or not do this? Should, should I call him and not call her? I mean, sh- should I do this? This is the litmus test. Is what you are about to do going to honor God or dishonor God? And Paul's telling us, and God's telling us, he's saying, if you, what you're about to do is going to dishonor God, then don't do that thing. Honor God with your bodies. Don't flirt, flee, don't live on the edge. Live as far away from the edge as you possibly can. Now, that's basically the meat of the message today. That's like kind of it, and I I could just end the message right now, and again, it would be a little bit briefer than than normal, but I I know if you're anything like me, I've sat in many a sermon before, and I sit there, and I I find myself agreeing. I'm like, okay, yeah, this seems to make sense. And then the guy walks off, and I'm like, well, what the heck am I supposed to do with that? So for the rest of our time together today, we are going to go ultra practical. I'm gonna share with you some guardrails as it relates to our sexuality that I think should be a part of every single one of our lives. Now, I'm gonna talk specifically to you Jesus followers in the room here for just a minute here. And so if you're not a Jesus follower, you can kind of zone me out for just a second and you can forget the fact that I'm gonna be really, really blunt right now, but I'm maybe gonna be harsher than, than I've ever been before. If you are a Jesus follower, and as I list off these guardrails, and at the end of this, you kind of sit here and think, yeah, that, that's okay, but that's going to be a little tough to implement in my life, or yeah, that's, that's like your thing, Shay, and maybe some other people's stuff, but that's just not for me. I gotta call. You are being a fool. You are being such a fool. Get over yourself. Don't be so arrogant and so full of pride that you are somehow above this. These guardrails are in place because, again, God wants to prevent future regret. Okay, so that's you Jesus followers. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, okay, for those of you that aren't Jesus followers, I would still highly, highly recommend these things being a part of your life. And in fact, I tell you this, I guarantee that you will never regret putting these guardrails in place, ever. You will never look back in 10 years and think, you know, that one day I went to that church that had that weird name and I was there and I... I did these things and ugh, it was just really irritating because I missed out on some hot affairs, man. I could have really ripped my marriage apart. That would have been great. I mean, oh, man, I'm so bummed out that I listened to that guy because, man, there's so much good porn out there and I just, I'm missing out. All my coworkers watch this stuff and I'm not watching this. You will never regret putting this stuff in place. Now, I'm gonna say these things and, and this is worth noting as well and, and I mentioned this in the first week and I'm gonna just sound really confident as I say these things, so matter of fact and I, I wanna remind you that if you embrace guardrails, as you put guardrails in your life, as you put these boundaries in your life, our society as a whole does not support that. When people hear about this, if they hear about this, that this stuff is a part of your life, they're gonna think you're a fool. They're gonna think that you've just gone off the deep end with this religious stuff. They're gonna call you words like legalistic. They're gonna say that you've taken this religion thing just way too far. They're gonna say that it's extreme. But I'm telling you, it's really not extreme. This is how you flee from sexual immorality because think about it, our society baits us as close to the edge as we possibly can go. Constantly, we're constantly being inundated with this stuff. And so why wouldn't we take equally drastic action to go the direction that God wants to take us? The direction that, by the way, is going to lead to a healthier and more fulfilled life. Now, last thing here worth noting, and then I promise I'll I'll get into these things. Some of you, as I say these things, you're going to sit here and you're going to think, oh, crud. 
I'm doing some of this stuff. And, and, and there's maybe gonna be this, this sense of guilt that comes over you. Remember, these are guardrails. They're placed well outside of the danger zone. Because So just because you might be participating in some of these things that I'm gonna list off here, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are doing something wrong. So don't feel this great sense of guilt and like I'm shaming you or something. I'm just telling you, if you're doing some of this stuff, then you are flirting with disaster. You're right on the edge there of the danger zone. And I would advise you and I would recommend to you and Paul would say and Jesus would say and God would say, hey, you maybe want to get a little bit further away from the edge to help prevent future regret. And so I'm gonna give you some guardrails here that are absolutely a part of my life uh, they're a part of our staff at, at Grumlaw. They're a part of our lives. Uh, these aren't like some list that you're going to find in like 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and there it's just going to be. Uh, this is something that, that, that I kind of came up with, but honestly, it's, it's a list of guardrails that people who are far wiser than me, people who have been at this pastor thing a, a lot longer than I have, people that have been on the other end of, of a lot of really, really terrible phone calls at 1 o'clock in the morning, people that have gotten a lot of really just Oh, gut-wrenching texts. People that have gotten these emails where it just, it breaks your heart. People that sit there and it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe. I can't believe he, I can't believe she. And in every single one of those cases where lives and marriages and relationships and families have been completely ravaged and ripped apart because of sexual sin, had these guardrails been in place, they absolutely could have been avoided. And so, I'm gonna give you two lists here. I'm gonna give a list for the, the married people, and then I'm gonna give a list for the single people, and then I got one guardrail that I think we all should probably follow. We're gonna start with the married people, because come on, let's be honest, the married people, we are just a little bit more boring. Okay, start with married people. Don't travel alone with members of the opposite sex. Don't ever travel alone with members of the opposite sex. And the mode of transportation really isn't all that important. Doesn't matter if it's by like horseback, or go-kart, or four-wheeler, or car, or plane, or train. Don't ever travel alone with members of the opposite sex. Uh, Stephanie Seacrest, she's, she's often up here singing. Can we just, kiss? Stephanie Seacrest, yeah. Let's give her a round of applause. You know her as like Stephanie with the beautiful voice. I know her as Stephanie that keeps this, the wheels from falling off around here. She is our detail queen. She absolutely kills it. She is involved in so many different facets of this. And again, without her, we would be in a lot, a lot of trouble. Now, because she's so involved in so many different areas, it's not unusual that Stephanie will need to come to appointments or meetings with me. And whenever those times occur, we're at the office together, even if it's literally five minutes up the road. Stephanie and I will walk out into the parking lot. Stephanie will get into her car. I will get into my car. We'll drive to whatever that appointment is. We'll have it, then we'll get back into, again, separate vehicles and drive back to the office. And some of you might think, well, gosh, that's a little bit overkill. It works out actually really great because Stephanie likes country music and I'm not trying to listen to that crap. So <laughs> solves that problem right from the get-go. And again, some of you would think, okay, well, that's a little extreme. Do you really not trust yourself? That's not the point. It's taking the command to flee from se sexual immorality seriously. It's avoiding the appearance of evil. Now for some of you, as I list off these guardrails, you're, you're gonna be tempted to think, and some of you might already be there mentally, okay, this is nice and this is cute and this works for your little church world, but in the real world, not gonna happen. Not the case. And I'm not speaking out of ignorance here. I, I worked in medical sales for, for five years of my life. I know what it's like to work in corporate America. And when I worked in corporate America, these guardrails were absolutely still a part of my life. 
It would not matter if Grumlaw was a law firm, and a lot of people think that, uh, or a landscaping company, or a real estate company. It would not matter. These guardrails would still be standard part of our culture. I'll also say this. If you're the boss, if you're the one that, that's sitting here today that has the opportunity to implement these rules and, and, and put these in place in, in, in your place of employment where that you have the privilege of overseeing, you would be wise to do so. You're only going to prevent future regret. You're only going to prevent future headaches. So with all these, you're going to think, okay, gosh, that seems like overkill. It's not the most convenient. Rarely are guardrails the most convenient option. Next one. Don't eat alone with members of the opposite sex. We can also change this to don't drink alone with members of the opposite sex. Do not cross this line. And literally every single affair that I have ever heard of, ever, it starts right here. It starts with coffee, then maybe it's like drinks after work, like, hey, you just want to hang out for an hour and just like complain about our boss a little bit? Then it's a lunch, and then it's a dinner, and then those lunches become more frequent, and then those dinners become more frequent. Do not eat alone with members of the opposite sex. Now again, the argument that I always hear for, for this one in particular is like, you don't understand, I have to do this for my job. I do not doubt that you might have to meet with members of the opposite sex, but, there's this incredible thing. Like, are you ready for this? This is going to blow some minds. Restaurants have this thing called takeout. It's nuts. You call in an order. They make the food for you. You get to go pick it up. In some cases, they will even deliver it. So here's a great alternative. You take that food. You bring it back to your office, wherever it is that you work. You eat in a conference room that has open windows so everybody can see what's going on, even though they can't necessarily hear what's going on. You take a third party with you to that meal. It's not going to be the most convenient, but that's kind of the nature of guardrails. They are counterculture. Now this stuff, um, with this one in particular, there have been times even in my life where, where I have been caught in the middle of this completely unintentionally. Some of you guys have done this to me, gosh dang it. Where you're like, hey, can we have dinner with you? And I'm like, for sure. And we meet up and I'm like, where's your husband? Oh, he couldn't make it. And I'm like, oh boy, you got me. And so in those situations, it's not like you're like, ah, you're a female and you just head for the hills. It's as simple as stepping outside and just saying, hey, I need to make a quick phone call. You call up your spouse and you're just like, hey, here's what's going down. This person didn't show up. Now it's just me and her. You can go ahead and ask me about that when I get home. And it nips that kind of in the butt right there. Next one, don't confide in or counsel members of the opposite sex. It doesn't mean that you can't help them. It means you get them help, don't be their help. Do not confide in or counsel members of the opposite sex. This is precisely why so many of those lunch meetings with you know, people of opposite gender go south in such a hurry. Because it's like 90 minutes into the meal and the girl's leaning across and grabbing the hands like, I go, you don't understand. My husband never listens to me like this. This is so amazing, can we do this again sometime? You're going, oh my gosh, give me a break. If this was a movie, that you were watching and your kids were, were, were present, this would be the scene where you're frantically grabbing for the remote because you know what's coming next. Do not confide in or counsel members of the opposite sex. Now, this can sometimes, again, sound so insensitive. In fact, this happens to me all the time in, in, in what I do for a living. Uh, and nobody, I, I doubt anybody usually has any ill will, but once I sense a certain conversation going down a, a certain path, I'm just like, hey, time out. One of two things needs to happen right here. Either you need to be comfortable sharing all of this with my wife present because we're going to go get her, or two, and even better, there's a reason that we have women on our staff that are a part of our leadership team. 
And it'd probably be better if you shared this stuff with them. It's not that I don't wanna be your help. It's not that I don't want to help you. I just can't be your help. I will find you help. Do not cross that invisible line of emotional intimacy, which is exactly what you are doing if you allow this to happen. And then the last one, when you feel your heart or your desire drifting toward a specific person, you need to tell someone. This is probably the most difficult one because all the others, you can kind of keep those to yourself and, and nobody necessarily needs to know that they're going on. You don't have to broadcast it, but this requires that you actually tell someone and you have to tell someone that's gonna hold you accountable. It doesn't need to be your spouse. In fact, I would actually recommend it not be your spouse and that's not because I'm telling you to hide things from your spouse, but remember, this is a guardrail. You haven't done anything wrong at this point. No, no, nothing necessarily is worth confessing to your spouse, but you do need to tell someone that is absolutely gonna hold you accountable. Early on, yeah, about six months before we, we started this church, I was kind of like, you know, hitting the road hard, like trying to figure out, okay, who's gonna be on staff here at Grumla? And uh, I mentioned Stephanie earlier. Uh, she was one of the, the people that jumped on, and then Taylor, who was our kids director, you never really get to see her because she's back there always just killing it in Grumla Kids. Uh, those are two of the first hires that, that we made here. Um, and I'll never forget this conversation. I was talking to a mentor, a coach of mine, and uh, just kind of telling him the exciting news, like, hey, we got our kids director position filled, and, and we got this admin director position filled, you know, so things are going really, really well. And, and this guy happens to know both Tay and Steph as well. And as blunt as could be, this is the question he asked me on the phone. He goes, oh, that's great. Are you sexually attracted to them? I'm like, that's a blunt question to ask. I mean, it was like almost offensive for him to ask that. But I'm so glad that he did because we got an opportunity to talk through that. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, okay, but here's the thing. It's not like you're hiring like these 50 year old homely looking dudes. Like, okay, so uh, you need to make sure that you guard your heart in that area. You need to make sure that you have accountability in that area. And he regularly asked me about that. Oftentimes just verbalizing it, knowing that that accountability is in place, knowing that that question is a coming the next time that you talk to that individual is enough to nip it in the butt right there. Now, before we move on to the singles, uh, all you married people, for whichever one of these you know, guardrails that you adopt, and again, if you're a Jesus follower and you don't adopt all of these, it's kind of mind-boggling, um, but whatever ones you adopt, uh, you need to tell your spouse because your spouse needs to be able to call you on these things. So even if it's on the way home, it's just looking at and saying, honey, I'm taking all that stuff and I'm running with it. Okay, make sure you tell your spouse about that. All right, now on to the single people. This ought to be good, all right? Single people, number one, Gouge out your eyes with a rusty knife. That's it. That is your only chance. I was not that long ago that I was single, and uh, this is some sound, sound advice. I'm just kidding, kind of. Okay, really. Uh, next one. Apply, apply the married people's guardrails in your relationships with married people. Treat that married person how you are going to want your future spouse to be treated. And here's what I can guarantee you, that when you are married, you are not gonna want some young looking dime, some young hunk hanging out with your spouse. That will not get you excited. I assure you that will tick you off and bum you out. Don't travel alone with married members of the opposite sex. Don't eat alone with married members of the opposite sex. Don't confide in or counsel married members of the opposite sex. And when you feel your heart or your desire drifting towards a married person, tell someone and tell someone that is going to hold you accountable. You wanna really nip it in the butt? Tell that person's spouse. That'll, that'll kill it, I promise. All right, next one. No sleepovers. 
No sleepovers. You got that? No sleepovers. Sleepovers are for eight-year-olds. Don't have sleepovers. Never. And no, but what about? Well, but what about if there's like other people hanging out over there? It's not a big of a deal. Uh, don't do it. Well, but what about like drink a little bit too much? Get an Uber. Get out of there. No sleepovers. The whole point of a guardrail is to keep you as far away from the danger zone as you possibly can. What is going to throw you quicker into the hornet's nest than a sleepover? No sleepovers don't ever make an exception to this. And then the next one, take a relationship break. Take a relationship break. And we're not talking like a couple weeks, not even a couple months, but for a lot of you single people that are sitting here today, you need to take like a significant relationship break, like a year. You need to circle like September 23rd, 2019, I make a commitment that you are not going to pursue in any way a dating relationship, no matter how good looking he is, no matter how good looking she is. You're going to take a solid year off of dating. And I say that because for so many single people, dating has become synonymous with sex. And the only way that you are going to get your body right, your entire being, your personality, your emotions, the only way you are going to get you right is if you take a significant break from dating. For those of you that do this, I, I have no doubt, you'll come up to me a year from now and you'll say that it was one of the greatest decisions that you ever made. There would be nothing that you could do better for your future relationship, for your future marriage, for your future spouse. There would be nothing greater that you could do for your relationship with God. God will do things over the next year that you did not think possible. Take a significant break from dating. Your future marriage, I'm telling you, will be so much better for it. That's the single people. All right, we got one more here, and this one is for everyone, okay? Set up a filter on all, 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 all of your electronic devices. Male, female, young, old, it does not matter who you are. You should absolutely have a filter on all of your electronic devices. Now again, I always get pushback on this, especially from women. And a lot of times guys are like, oh, God, you don't understand, I've, I've never really struggled with that before. I mean, it's just not, not anything that's, that's really been like a crutch for me in the past. So, you lock your house up when you go on vacation? You got locks on your house? Like, I doubt any of you, if we took a poll, have a home with no locks and you just leave the garage door open. I bet when you go on vacation, you lock everything up. You shut the garage door. You lock your windows. I mean, you take measures. But that being said, I doubt, I mean, there's probably two or three of you that have actually had your homes broken into. Just because you do not struggle with it today does not mean that you won't struggle with it tomorrow. Why not set up this boundary? this guardrail, and be preventative about the digital filth that exists in our world. Because I guarantee you that all of us probably have at least a couple different stories where we have been navigating around online, you went to a website, you clicked on something, and whoa, there it is. Why not set up a filter that will prevent you from even seeing that stuff in the first place? Pornography is, is so incredibly prevalent in our society. There are so many men, even sitting here, that are, that are addicted to pornography. And in every single one of those cases, I guarantee you, there hasn't, there hasn't been one where somebody woke up one day and thought, I'm going to start looking at porn two to three hours a day. It's going to be awesome. No. It started out with these little things that baited you and hooked you, where you stumbled across something and went, oh, and you didn't navigate away. 
And he got baited again and again and again and again. And before you know it, it's a full-blown addiction. So why not take preventative measures to keep those things from happening in the first place? A filter protects you. It keeps you out of the danger zone, which is exactly the concept behind guardrails. Now, is this stuff extreme? Maybe, I don't know, if you want to call it that. I think it's wise. I think it's taking the command to flee from sexual immorality literally, which, by the way, is exactly how we should take it. I think it's pretty common sense for those of you that are Jesus followers that this stuff should be standard practice in our lives. If you set up these guardrails, none of you will ever regret it. Now, this by no means either, I don't want to make it sound like these things that we just talked about is a definitive list. Because again, all of us, we have different temptations, and for every temptation, it warrants and deserves a guardrail. Some of you, you need to stop looking up your exes on Facebook. Others of you, as, as, as soon as your spouse goes to bed, that should be your mental cue to turn off your electronic devices. For some of you, you just need to delete your, d- d- delete your web browser from your phone altogether. Every single one of us are going to have different guardrails because, again, we all have different temptations. And so you have to ultimately decide, am I going to flirt or am I going to flee? And to flee is to honor God with your body. And in order to do that, you have to have guardrails.